Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins a national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family-owned and operated, a no-pressure, laid-back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life. You know, they say there are no days off for college football coaches. Uh, yesterday yesterday would uh, would mean Sam Pittman might deserve a day off at some point. Well, I don't think he's got one planned for a long, long time. Let's see, what happened yesterday? Well, yeah, there was practice. You know, he had to mm-hmm. coach practice and worry about that. It was at the Hogs Illustrated Luncheon. Uh, at 12 o'clock. Sometimes Clay Henry's there, but he's on a big vacation, which we'll hear about next week, uh, involving a lot of expensive fishing. Uh, Pittman then was there for practice uh, on campus and then was uh, at the Catfish Hole for the first Sam Pittman live radio show hosted by Chuck Barrett. Had uh, Trey Knox and Simeon Blair there or, uh, with him. And at the Hogs Illustrated Luncheon, uh, Sam talked about, and, you know, you look at his career, and he's, like, coached everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere, at least east of the Rockies is what it feels like. Uh, and one of those programs that he has coached was the Cincinnati uh, Bearcat football team, 1996. Uh, and, you know, he's, he, he had, it was kind of funny when he talks about Janey didn't want to move to Cincinnati because it's a big city. He looked at the population figures of Cincinnati and Tulsa and saw Tulsa as a larger population, and she would have been just fine moving there. Uh, and ended up just one year at Cincinnati and uh, then moved on to Oklahoma for uh, more dollars, better football, and uh, a program that automatically gains respect just by being the Oklahoma Sooners. And Sam Pittman did mention that Cincinnati is a little bit like Arkansas in the sense that they are trying to earn respect as a football program. Now, Cincinnati, however, is, I mean, this, this, this season they had last year, an undefeated regular season and a blowout loss in the Cotton Bowl to Alabama, uh, was the best season that Cincinnati has had. However, this is a program that should already have all mm. the respect in the world. The only problem is they don't play in a Power Five conference Heck, anymore. I mean, they used to. You got yeah, to remember they were this a Big was, East team, that, and that was an automatic BCS uh, BCS league. And they won that Big East a few times. They too. did. Um, so, but uh, but then after that, you know, when, once once the Big East blows up uh, over in the American Conference, it's a little bit difficult to earn that national respect especially after you lose nine players into the nfl draft i think the going thought might be well you know they're not going to have that kind of depth built up to be able to sustain this kind of success however (laughs) i mean they've had 10 win seasons eight times 
since 2007. Mm. That tells me a football program that knows how to build depth. Last four years, 44 wins under Luke Fickle, who is the newest rising star there at Cincinnati, although they're going to do everything they possibly can to keep him there with, what is it, over $5 million paying him? Look at some of the coaches that have come through Cincinnati in recent years that have parlayed success in the Queen City of the Ohio River into bigger jobs. Mark D'Antonio parlayed success at Cincinnati into Michigan State. Brian Kelly from Cincinnati to mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Butch Jones from Cincinnati to Tennessee. D'Antonio and Kelly have kept some of them up momentum going. Butch Jones obviously is not. 13 players selected in the last two years in the NFL draft, nine last year. I don't know. It sounds like it's a program that just automatically should deserve respect by virtue of the amount of success that they've had. Really, just looking under Luke Fickle, never mind of what's happened since 2007 or anything that happened in the Big East. They are going to be a Big 12 program. They may end up being one of the top programs in that league once they get there. But they don't have a lot of success against SEC schools. And they Who have does, their, though? I mean, come on. That's a good point, but that's also where some of this so-called respect might come from. Uh, you know, you can, you can win the American, and you can go undefeated. But I guess in the eyes of, well, we who cover the SEC, the people who live in the footprint of the SEC, and really coast to coast, where everybody certainly understands that white, well, the Big Ten may have a bigger television contract. They don't necessarily have the depth of quality football po- programs and the string of national championships that come out of the SEC. Cincinnati does have four wins all time against SEC schools. And Arkansas does not want to join the list of the two schools that have been defeated by Cincinnati since they've been in the SEC. The last win for the Bearcats against an SEC team... Can I take a guess? ...was the 2011... Mm. I'm giving you a hint already here. 2011, I'm guessing. Is what 2011 you're... Liberty Bowl. 2011 Liberty Bowl, okay. Um... I'm going to say that one would have been against Kentucky. Vanderbilt. They oh. beat Vanderbilt 24-7. to They have two wins all time against Vanderbilt. You are correct, however, in where the other two victories come against. I figured it And the one tie came against Kentucky. Arkansas does not want to be in that category of Kentucky and Vanderbilt. And part of the issue here is, is that I think, I think, based upon the recent success, based upon players who have been practicing behind college stars that are now in NFL camps mm. uh, and players that they've gotten to transfer in and just uh, the, the overall mojo that this program's had and they have one of the best coaches in the country. I'm just going to say that this version of Cincinnati is probably better than the version that beat Vandy in 2011 in the Liberty Bowl or any of the other three wins against SEC teams against Kentucky and Vanderbilt. So, and this is going to be, I mean, if Cincinnati is going to join that same conversation as last year as contending for a national title, now they're, they're, they've got their targets set on an American Conference championship, but they get a Super Bowl to start the season. Arkansas does too. Anytime that you get a college, uh, college playoff mm-hmm. entrant that opens your season against you the next year, uh, that's got a sense of a, of a bit of a Super Bowl for you. But then again, Arkansas plays against... Alabama and everybody else in the SEC West and a road trip to BYU. Awfully difficult games. 
So we've been focused on trying to look into Cincinnati. You can rest assured, since he's not too worried about how they play, who they play week two, three, four, five, because they get a Super Bowl to open the season in nine days, eight days. We'll give you the oh, nine days. That's right. I got to remember our games are on Saturdays, and I'm thinking about Fridays <laughs> for some reason because we're going to be in Harrison next. There we Friday. are. Uh, so. Yeah, um, this this is a Cincinnati team that had their Super Bowl early last year, and they took it to Notre Dame. It's maybe a bit of a different team, but they've got the kind of mojo where, hey, forget about what you think about what might happen in week five, Arkansas-Alabama. We'll worry about that once Arkansas plays Cincinnati and you see you know, whether or not mm-hmm. some of the questions that we've had about this team uh, will uh, will be answered, whether or not. And they're going up against a good team, so that'll probably help not answer the questions about how good they are in here or there, but at least give us an idea of how good they'll be going into South Carolina. I don't want to hear about Alabama very much. I don't want to hear about October. Well, we better not take Eddie's call today, then. Well, you know he's going to come at some point. It's a Thursday, and that's the day Eddie usually calls. But, you know, the, the point here is, is that, I, no, no, I, I think Sam Pittman is right. Cincinnati does have to play that card of, no respect because any team that's not in the SEC or the Big Ten really has to play that card of no respect. But when you're not in the Power Five, when you are uh, a playoff team from last year and you're not even uh, thought about as being anywhere near it in the very next year, I do think they're looking for some respect. And one way to win respect is to win a game against an SEC team, especially when it's in mm-hmm. that SEC team's backyard. Yeah, and... I- I do think that people need to be more cautious about Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a great program, and under Luke Fickle has done a really good job of not just getting them to a high level, but maintaining a high level. And you get Jackson from Fort Smith, and I, and I kind of can see where he's coming from. It's it, it's and Chuck Barrett brought this up on the Morning Rush the other day. It's that kind of SEC elitist type of talk of, of that we play the best football. Nobody else can compare. Nobody else can walk on the same field with us. And while that may be true to an extent, that's not 100% true here against Cincinnati. Cincinnati coming off of three incredible great seasons, back-to-back-to-back, 10-plus wins all three years. We're talking about a program that, while they might not be a top 25 recruiting program, this is a top 40 recruiting program. This is a program that Luke Fickle has recruited at a very high level in the top 50 since he's been there. These are very talented players. They've got their entire offensive line back. While they might have to replace Desmond Ritter, the guy that's coming in is a four-year senior who has not transferred in or out, has been there all the entire time. This is a guy that knows Luke Fickle's system. This is a guy that has some talent and will be a decent foe against this Arkansas team. I think Arkansas is going to win this game. Don't get me wrong. But for Jackson or anybody else out there to say that Arkansas, you could give him Arkansas minus 24 and a half and he's going to take Arkansas with the points. I would take that is bet, just, that that is way too that that is way too much confidence. I, I, I promise you, this is a really good Cincinnati team. And and also, you gotta remember, like I said, they are joining the Big Twelve. The American I know it's not the SEC, it's not the Big Ten, but it's not a joke of a conference. There's a reason that when three out of the four teams that are joining the Big Twelve are coming from the American. There's a reason that since we've gone to a playoff Every single group of five school that is represented in a New Year's Six Bowl 
has been from the American Athletic Conference. Right, like this not. is the you're you're playing a group of five, but you are playing the one percent of the group of five here. You ain't playing Arkansas State. La Tech's not walking through that door. Florida Atlantic ain't coming to Fayetteville. You're talking about Cincinnati. That is a good program, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are laughing at me. They saying the AAC all defender right, American, coming to every, all right American yeah, athletic exactly but fan. I promise you all right we're I promise it's the good conference. they are good I don't think anybody thinks the American Conference is crap or that Cincinnati is crap they're just looking at the idea that they lost so many players from last year and you don't think you can that they can replace them but I'm here to tell you there's enough depth there's enough depth built through recruiting uh, at this at this program where 24 and a half points I'm gonna give you honest answer here Jackson. <laughs> I'll take that I'll take that I would take that bet any day. If, you, if there are 12 games on the schedule and eight of them could be decided by one score, this is one of them. This is one of them. 877-377-6963 to get on halftime. Bob Holt will join us next, so stay with us. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. been ready for the season to start. I've been so ready to go, like, study film over at Cincinnati. I'm sorry. That was Tykeese Crawford at yesterday's post-practice media session with, uh, I, I kind of think he's mirroring exactly the way most of us feel uh, now because talking season has another week and uh-huh. they've got to be ready to just go up against Cincinnati. I know they've start, already been installing things, but now starting to focus on the opponent today. That's when Sam Pittman said in his radio show yesterday, Bob Holt was at the uh, media session yesterday, and he joins us here on Halftime. Bob, you all right? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing all right, doing well. man. Doing well. Uh, was, uh, I, I think Tykeist, uh probably mirrors the way everybody else feels. Now, maybe, maybe once the Outback Bowl was complete, uh, Razorback fans were more ready to shift into basketball gear because you will always look at what's next. But for the football team, I, I can imagine there were quite a few of them, Tykeus maybe being at the top of the list, that were just ready to get to next year, knowing that, uh, that there, were, there were room for him to improve, knowing that there would be opportunities on that offensive line for him. And, uh, and here it is, it's a week to go. And you could tell by him talking yesterday, he's just, he's just ready to get out there and hit somebody else. Yeah, I mean, these guys have been, this is nearing the end of the third week, and, you know, they, and, and they do a lot of workouts in the summer, obviously going back to spring ball for a lot of them. Some guys didn't arrive here until the summer, but you, know, you got spring, you know, off-season workouts, spring football, summer workouts, training camp. Um, you know, it's just a whole lot of work, and, and you only get 12 games if, if you're lucky enough to stay healthy, and then hopefully you possibly, you know, championship, conference championship games and playoffs, bowl games. I think 15 is probably the maximum that any team can play. But, um, yeah, at, at this point, yeah, they're, they're tired of the, the, the DBs can call out the routes the receivers are running. The 
defensive linemen call can call out, you know, the checks probably the offensive line's making and the offensive line knows what uh, blitzes are coming and the coverages and they, they just know each other so well and uh, you know, they're definitely ready for, you know, to, to hit, hit on somebody else and, you know, <coughs> excuse me, hopefully put all this good hard work into action because, you know, all, all this hard work is all about the game. Tykees Crawford is an absolute beast. I mean, he is he is humongous, and and that's even after losing what was it, seventy pounds? Did I hear? Uh, he's six foot five, three forty seven, but he reported to Arkansas last year close to three hundred and eighty pounds. So, I mean, even losing a lot of weight, this guy is still gigantic. Sounds to me from what he said yesterday, Bob, that uh, he may end up being. There might be a couple of guys like this too. Uh, one of the uh, Swiss Army knives, just like Ty Clary last year. I know you could move, uh, you could move uh, Brady Latham over to center. There's an injury to Ricky Stromberg that opens up a spot on the right side for Crawford. I know that's where Sam Pittman said he'd like to have Crawford play this year, but he's he's going to be the sixth guy. He's the sixth man for that offensive line, and I do think he's the Swiss Army knife. Yeah, Sam Pittman said as far back as, as SEC media days in July that you know Crawford you know, is good, and he needs to be on the field. Now, he didn't say he was going to start him because they had four starters coming back, and, and Luke Jones is pretty much locked down that left tackle spot where Myron Cunningham had been the starter. But, um, you know, Dalton Wagner's had some back issues. He, he said earlier in camp that he feels good, hadn't been an issue. You, you hope, you know, it won't be an issue for him, but you never know. Plus, uh, especially when they're playing, you know, this fast-paced offense, I mean, the idea is to wear out the defense, but it can probably well, it'll be tiring for the offensive linemen too. So you like to have some fresh bodies in there sometime, or um, you know, they cross train these guys a lot of spots. Like I say, the idea is to get your five best available linemen on the field. So if one of your starters goes down, you don't say, "Well, who's the backup left guard or who's the backup right tackle?" It's like, "Well, who's our next best lineman?" And he's worked at A, B, and C, and so you know we can move this guy or put him in wherever and. Yeah, Crawford seems to have a lot of versatility. He's worked at right tackle and right guard. I honestly don't know if he's worked on the left side, but um, he doesn't seem to have any issues with with playing wherever they need him. He seems very confident. Um, and I guess 65, he said he came in at 380, now he's 315. But yeah, you're right, I mean, he's just sitting there. I mean, when you see him in pads, he's massive. And when you see him just sitting there in a polo shirt, he's pretty darn big too. So, you know, and he's a guy who, transferred him from Charlotte where I'm sure he could have started at Charlotte as long as he was there but he came in and and uh, was a backup last year and he may be a quote backup this year but like you said I, I see him as the the next guy in um whether they want to give somebody a break or somebody gets hurt so I, I think he's going to play you know significant snaps this season I'm, I'm sure he's excited about that Sam got talking a little bit about uh memories of Cincinnati coach there one year uh, and again, he's he's coached kind of almost everywhere, uh, west of the uh, east of the Rockies, uh, and I only mean that in in positive ways. But uh, did he had uh, fond memories of Cincinnati? I know he coached on a on a coaching staff that had a couple of NFL head coaches. Yeah, I had not realized that uh, until I knew Rick Mentor was the coach. I didn't cover Rick Mentor, but I knew he'd gone to Henderson State and he was a GA here in '78 for Lou Holtz and. And, 
you know, he's head coach Cincinnati for several years. He was defense coordinator at Notre Dame. And I knew he was the head coach. I did not know that John Harbaugh and Rex Ryan had been on that staff. And uh, you look, and there's a couple other guys that had extensive NFL extensive NFL experience. Of course, Sam Pittman, a, a successful SEC head coach, was on that staff. So it just goes to show you that, you know, everybody start off at the top, you know. Um, you know, Nick Saban was a GA at one time. All these guys were. You know, probably start as GAs, and so, but that that was enlightening to me, or eye-opening that wow, that that's a heck of a good staff Sam was on, and and he has moved around a lot. You know, I think he just had some bad luck in terms of getting jobs with coaches that were kind of in a win-now situation, and then when that coach gets fired, you know, uh, whether it's Derek Dooley at, at at Tennessee, or I think Charlie Sadler was the coach at Northern. Uh, Illinois, um, you know, John Blake at Oklahoma, um, d- different coaches at different stops. You know, Sam would kind of get swept out with the rest of the staff, but he's never not uh, had a job. I mean, somebody always wanted to hire him. So I think he's had maybe some bad luck with some situations he went into. Obviously, Georgia was, was a good situation. He could have coached years in the system as long as he wanted. Now he's back as a head coach, but yeah, I added it up. It's, I think it's 17 different stops, hmm. usually a lot, a lot of one-year places, which I don't think that's necessarily how he would like it, but that's just kind of the way it's worked out. But now you know, I expect him to be here at Arkansas for several more years. I expect, expect him to retire here. He's obviously got the retirement home in, in Hot Springs, and he's 60 now, and, and uh, he's committed to Arkansas, and they're committed to him. And so I'd say this is Sam Pittman's last stop. Yeah, and the and multiple reasons why exactly. I mean, you look at his career, and I think a four or five year uh, stint at North Carolina is the is the longest that he's been able to stay somewhere. And we, we know that that coaching is a gypsy like life. You know, sometimes you're not always in control of of, uh, of how long you're going to live in that city, and it's expected going into it. But when you're given the opportunity here, you know to 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 be near the top of your profession and you know make over five million dollars and everything. I mean, at some point, stability uh, means something to you, you know, and and stability that yeah is based upon success and liking being there, but also <laughs> there's a point in your life where you just want to stop moving around and you have a place to stay, and that's one of the reasons why this feels like such such a great marriage between coach and school. Yeah, I mean. Um... I'm sure Sam, if he wanted to, could go coach at other places with with the success he's had. But you know, he's been an Arkansas fan going back to I guess his high school days, coming over here for a camp when Lou Holtz was the coach in the seventies. And he's you know, from Grove, Oklahoma. He made a joke yesterday about, about some T-shirt. I haven't seen this myself, but I think he said it's got the state of Arkansas and it's got Grove Annex be part of the state of Arkansas. I think that's what he said. I think I understood that correctly, but. Yeah, sometimes things just align, and you say, well, that guy's the perfect coach for that job, and that's the perfect job for him. And I think that's really, you know, the way it is with, with Sam in Arkansas. And, um, of course, you know, coaching the SEC, it, it's, you know, great rewards financially. Um, you have great uh, facilities and fan bases and all these things. But the flip side of that is you need to win, you know. And uh, I don't think people expect Arkansas to win like Alabama. You know, that's not realistic. That doesn't mean they can't compete for SEC and national titles. Um, I mean, you think about how far Arkansas has come 
in the last couple of years, it's kind of mind-boggling to think they would go nine and four. You know, two years removed from from uh, you know zero and sixteen. You know, back to back SEC years, and uh, so um, you know anything's possible. I mean, by Petrino had great success here. Houston had had some great teams. Obviously, Ken Hatfield holds Frank Broyles, you know, the godfather of it all, so to speak. Um, so you can do it at Arkansas. It's, it's, it's not easy, but but you can do it if you have the right coach. I think his history is showing, and I think at this time, Sam is the right coach for Arkansas. Mm, it, it can be done here. Just need a lot of things to to line up there, Bob. And one thing, it seems like Sam thinks that everything is lining up. You know, and, and this coaches show yesterday uh, made the comment of a lot of teams. They feel like they have some weaknesses and they have to hide it. But he said that they don't. They don't feel like they have any weaknesses. I, I, when I hear that, I, I think well, that's really good. Coach Pete, that's confidence. But then I also kind of remember that defensive line is not exactly where they want it to be yet. Well, they've, they've got experience back there, but they, they lost all three starters, but they definitely have some experienced players and, and uh, Isaiah Nichols and Eric Gregory. And, you know, what? Torian Carter just a huge loss. That guy was really having a great spring and got hurt and you know we don't know if he's going to be able to play this year at, or not but that that was a huge loss um but you know ter- terry hampton the potential marshall state i think has come in and really impressed with his strength and he's gonna be able to help him cam ball red shirt freshman who was out of camp earlier but is back i think he can help him so um and sometimes they only play one tackle you know if they're going to three-man line sometimes they play two but yeah, they don't. Uh, you know, I don't know if they have an All SEC caliber player there, and obviously, you like uh, you know, have some All SEC type defensive linemen. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a dominating line, but I think it can be, you know, a solid line, and you feel pretty good about the linebackers with with Bumper Pool leading that group, and you know, big big deal to have Jalen Catalan back. But yeah. If you're looking at positions that maybe have some question marks attached, you, you, you might go with the line. They've obviously got some experienced guys on, on the edge. You know, Zach, uh, Zach Williams and you know, Gregory can play out there. They've got some transfers to help. But, um, but yeah, they do look they do look like they're in good shape, a lot of different positions. Mm-hmm. But my whole thing with Arkansas is the schedule. It's just such a tough schedule. And a lot of games could go either way. And if they're going to win, you know, eight, nine, ten games, they're going to, have to pull out a lot of close games, I think. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, has turned from a question mark to what a lot of us are expecting to be, you know, a very uh, important part of the offensive and, and an exclamation point is the wide receiver core. But two two names that we haven't heard a lot about, you know, when it comes to their roles in this wide receiver core would be Bryce Stevens and, and, and Keytron uh, Jackson. What, what what do you think their roles are going to be? I mean, are they just going to come in there to give guys like Landers, Hazelwood, and Thompson breathers, or are they going to may, play uh, major major roles in this offense? I don't know if I could see them playing major roles. Those other three guys you mentioned, you know, it, it should probably get the, the majority of the snaps and majority of the targets. But I think, uh, you know, Jackson Stevens, they're – They've been in the program for a while now. They've got some good speed. Um, they could help in their return game. I think you know they've got three, three true freshmen that, that could help 
um, in that receiver rotation as well as, as on special teams too. You know, Isaiah Satania, um, and Quincy McAdoo, and uh, I'm having a brain break here, but I, I think they're going to be, you know, eight nine guys deep. Not they probably aren't going to travel that many, but. You know, receivers can play on special teams a lot, whether it's returning kicks, covering kicks, because they have such good speed. So, I said they don't have anybody like like Traylon Burks, I don't think, but they they do seem to have a pretty deep room. And you know, Landers is coming and add a lot of speed. You know, the transfer from from Toledo who began his career at Georgia. So, yeah, that's gone. Now they haven't played any games yet, so we we got to see what happens against Cincinnati. That's obviously a good test early, and then you know, they jump right into the SEC against South Carolina. Carolina next week, but um, from everything we've heard from camp, a little bit we've seen, we've seen some nice catches by those guys. Uh, you know that receiving group has gone from being a question mark. You feel like that could that could be a strength for them, but you know season hasn't started yet either. All right, last thing, Bob, when trick of the trade sort of stuff, we've gotten answers about this from Mike Irwin, from Clay Henry. You know the guys that uh, that have the experience of what it takes to see what you need to see at practices and people who have who have covered the team back when you could watch every practice and go talk to who you want to talk to and then have everything sort of selected for you and curated and you only get to watch 20 minutes what is a trick of the trade that you currently use to get the most out of your 20-minute viewing session at practice well it kind of depends on what i'm working on but if i'm going to be writing about a particular position group you know once they break into their uh, positions. I like to go, you know, kind of focus in on that. Well, one, make sure who all is working in that position group. Make sure some guy has a move, you know, to tackle the end or receiver to running back or tight end to, to tackle, you know, whatever. Maybe offensive defense. But I, I kind of like to focus. I think it's very hard to get a big picture view in, in 15 or 20 minutes. You can do that, but I think it's hard. I mean, you can get an idea for the pace of practice. Uh, but what I like to do, of course, Tom Murphy's out there most of the time being the main eyes, but I like to focus in on a certain group, a position group, and, you know, just kind of see who's doing what, who's looking good, who seems to be getting first-team reps, maybe how they're interacting with their position coach. Is he having to get on him a lot, or does he seem pretty happy with what they're doing and the enthusiasm of it all that? So I, I kind of like to focus on a position group, although obviously that can cost you Big picture stuff, but that's what I like to do. All right. Well, trick of the trade from Bob Holt, who knows lots of tricks of the trade. Bob, appreciate you, man. Let's do it again next week. Okay. You guys take care. All right. Appreciate it, Bob Holt. Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Maybe like do a segment, trick of the trade, with some of the real veterans that know what it's like to cover this team in many different ways for many, many years. Also, a shout-out to our friends at Crabtree RV Center in Alma. They've been serving the River Valley for over 72 years. Family-owned on a 17-acre site right there at the junction of I-40 and I-49. 26,000-square-foot indoor showroom. Got an RV park, service, and parts department right there next to the Cracker Barrel in Alma. And you've been voting the best of the best for seven consecutive years. Go by and see Bert all the game. Crabtree RV Center in Alma right next to the Cracker Barrel. CrabtreeRV.com. Calls and texts at halftime, 877-377-6963. Right back. 
Eastside Liquor has more than just liquor. They also have wellness products and now carry Marley CBD gummies. They come in amazing flavors like Island Punch and Coconut Vanilla. They come in 200 milligram tin packs, so stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue and pick some up today. Now, back to the podcast. Cody has just used that phone number to give us a call here on halftime. I got to figure out if some information Bubba Carpenter just texted me is actually arable. Or well, it sounded for. funny because uh, I was howling there. There's for a, a big LOL, literal hot, hot, LOL. Has to, has to do with the uh, renaming of the live South Carolina Gamecock mascot. So you take that where you think it goes and mm. understand why I was howling. And why I'm not really sure if I can bring up. Not sure all exactly what Bubba names. said, but I'm, I'm going to guess it was a doozy. Well, just keep in mind here that the actual mascot, the one that wears a costume, is called Cocky. <laughs> and then the live mascot is Sir Big Spur. And they're not allowed. Like, there's a whole controversy. Do I have to salute Big, Sir Big Spur? Sir Big Spur. There's like, right. I have to walk by and go, Sir Big Spur? There's a controversy with the, the 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 initial couple that owned Sir Big Spur, and the the couple that they either sold it to or now holds the rights to them, and uh-huh. they're not they didn't the name didn't transfer over, so they have to rename the live mascot. That's like you would have to try to find a new name for Tusk. Mm. You can now they got to try to find a new name for Sir Big Spur. And th- there's there's one of these there's one of these names. Bubba's listening right now. Bubba, you're trying to get me fired. I know this. <laughs> I know how this works. But we've got Cody on hold. This gives me an opportunity to think about this for a moment. So, Cody, take it away. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing well. I'm nervous. Not right as now. well as Phil, apparently. I'm he's he's, very, uh, he's having a hoot and a half over there. I'm very nervous at this <laughs> moment that I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say. Yeah, and I, I'm I don't know how to feel about that's being my that's my introduction. On this call, that's that's where the conversation's gone. <laughs> well, I could have said. Well, now we'll go to the phones, and here's Cluck Norris. Steer us back right, Cody. You got it. We 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 firmed in the other lane. You got to turn the wheel hard. You got to get us back going. Right. Uh, in 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 that case, I actually didn't get to call in yesterday, but I heard the conversation about pool holes. And mm-hmm. in y'all's opinion, do you think that they're giving enough attention to that situation? Like I didn't. Ruskin and Zach had some good points. Shockingly, um, they were talking about how the seven hundred club. It's so foreign to everyone and it's honestly something where you may not see another player get to that number but i want to give you a little insight on when how i'm what i remember of albert Pujols. <clears throat> i believe it was rookie year uh first base was o'neill second was fernando vini shortstop was edgar and Taria. third base i don't know if it was rolling or not i think it was guys i'm not positive and i sound i, I think it was, they was got rolling yeah yeah third base and Le- Pujols was in left field guys mm-hmm. center field with Edmonds. right field was jordan Oh. Um, and then the catcher was Mike Matheny, and our starting ace was Matt Morris. That's I remember. That's one heck of a lineup. Was fresh rookie year, <laughs> guys. I've ne- there's not. I'm telling you, three thirty a year batting average, thirty home runs. There were thirty stolen bases a year for a while, guys. Like people don't understand how talent uh, they do. Like my age group, but that's one of the rare people we're ever going to see play baseball at that level again. The Angels, the um, Asian guy, he's good. And then Mike Trout, those are the only other comparisons I really have as far as natural ability, uh, day-to-day ability, year-to-year ability, consistency. But mm-hmm. I just want to make sure everybody's given proper respect and due to pull holes. He's a class act, too. Off the field, you think about his charities, um, the things he does for his stepchild, you know, like mm-hmm. just everything that guy does, man. It's one of those rare he's, – he's a genuine – he's a good guy, and he needs to be revered, man, because mm-hmm. – 
they don't make them like that much anymore. But I just want to get y'all's insight on that and let you know as card fans, man, it's a special time for us. But y'all have yeah. a good one. I appreciate the Cody, call, Cody. Good to hear from you, man. And I mean, look, there was the, the in his time with the St. Louis Cardinals, like Albert Pujols was more consistent than Hank Aaron was at his peak with mm-hmm. the Braves. I mean, uh, Aaron was incredibly good at always hitting 38 to 40 home runs. Now, Pujols never hit 50, but he had a stretch of four consecutive 40 home run seasons. Did it seven out of out of nine years at one point, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Uh, stole a couple of bases here and there. But, uh, I, you know, the, uh, Ruskin and Zach are right. Like, 700 is a number that when Barry Bonds got there, there was much more conversation about wh- what he did to get there that was mm-hmm. chemically induced. And that was the problem. Barry Bonds, whether you love him, whether you hate him, whether you think that he belongs in the Hall of Fame or not, right? he and tainted look, the number. Remember, Bonds, I mean, Bonds retired at a, at a point where he probably still could have continued to play and be a designated hitter he should, uh, he in, could the, have, in yeah. the American League. Oh, I don't know if there's any doubt about that. Um, the, the craziness about Pujols, the thing where it's different, different than any other star, I think, in baseball history, is that he almost literally disappeared and was like close to a replacement level Forgot about him. For like five to six to seven years with the Angels. I mean, he had a couple of years with the Angels that were okay. Mm-hmm. But he was, he just disappeared. And if you're going to disappear, like, out on the West Coast with the Angels... That's the place to do it. Nobody's going to remember you there. Right. Or, the, or like, the Athletics. You know, that's a yeah. place to go disappear in front of 9,000 people. That's what makes this story so incredible. And when you, look at the, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the three players that have hit 700 home runs, heck, if you look at the guys that hit 600 home runs, it was always consistent. Mm-hmm. Never under 20. You know, no, hardly ever under 25 or 30. You know, he had some big, you know, big years here and there, like mm-hmm. with Bonds. But even before the whole steroid thing, he was still a thirty to thirty-five home run guy. Heck, he had over forty with the Giants his first year there in '93. Babe Ruth was incredibly consistent on a year-by-year basis, and Hank Aaron like defined consistency. Mm-hmm. Albert Pujols was consistent, consistently good with the Cardinals. He was consistently meh. With the Angels for ten years, and that's that's another crazy thing. I mean, just do the just do the simple math. You talk about a guy hitting six hundred home runs. Let's say he averages thirty a year. It takes ten years to get to three hundred, right? That means it takes twenty seasons to get to six hundred. That's why what Albert has done did in the early part of his career, what he disappeared and did do. I mean, added to did obviously add to the numbers in Los Angeles and now coming back and especially these last few weeks of of really raking and putting the ball um, you know over the fence has been incredible to watch because you you think about it a a really good power hitter is right about the 30-35 mark I mean I think that's a realistic goal that everybody that is considered a power hitter should have to even get to 600 if you average 30 takes you 20 years and the thing about Pujols and I think you see this with Bonds too heck you saw this with Hank Aaron and and almost with Ruth too Ruth struck out quite a bit Mm. for that era but Albert Pujols has nearly as many walks as strikeouts for a guy that's coming close to 700 home runs pretty good nuts the other thing he's got in his numbers here is a 297 career batting average you know Mickey Mantle finished with a 298 Mm -hmm. and he always said that his one career 
uh, regret was that he didn't finish over 300. And it's the last few years that dropped that batting average because Albert was like a 330 hitter with the Cardinals. It was a 250 hitter mm-hmm. with the Angels. And that's one thing you look at. He's got the 3,000 base hits. He's got almost 700 home runs, nearly 700 doubles, almost as many strikeouts as walks. But 297, mm. like 301, feels like it's 50 points different than 297, even though mm. it's just a four-point differential. Right. Real quick, as, as Crash always said, just one more ground ball with eyes, one more blooper in the left, and I'm in the show. Yeah, he would have been over 300 at yeah. that point. Uh, all right, quick break here on halftime, and we'll see if I uh, give you these suggestions uh, for the uh, new live South Carolina Gamecock mascot, and my career might be in jeopardy if I do it. Halftime. <laughs> Why do people do business with First Western? Because First Western builds relationships with all of their customers. They partner for the long haul to help you with your financial goals over all seasons of life. First Western is prompt, responsive, and they deliver with quick answers and on-time loan closings. When is the last time your banker called you? You are looking for a high level of service and a financial partner who will listen and respond. Try First Western. For more information, visit them online at firstwestern.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Run the ball to have success. And I'm not saying you have to run the ball for 200, 250 yards a game, but you have to be able to run the ball when you want to. And, uh, we obviously are very proud of our tight ends, our quarterback throwing the ball, our wide outs, you know, very, very proud of them. But they're also involved big time in the blocking aspect of it as well. Where it comes in effect, if you can't run the ball and you get inside the red zone, you're in trouble. And so I think you have to start the mentality of your football program by the physicality of running the football. And that's with all 11 guys on the field. That is Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman at the debut of Sam Pittman Live 2022. Uh, yesterday on this very station. We'll have another one next Wednesday, of course. And uh, it's a team that is expected certainly to uh, run the football almost whenever they want to. Arkansas last year against the Auburn Tigers. And we're going to have Andy Burcham, the voice of Auburn uh, football, basketball, baseball, with us in the next segment. Arkansas did run the ball last year uh, quite successfully against Auburn. 232 yards, averaged over four yards per carry, but uh, could not get to Bo Nix. Nix was comfortable in the pocket, and uh, even though Arkansas had a lead early in the third quarter, uh, ended up uh, losing that game anyway. And that's the sixth consecutive year that Arkansas has been defeated by Auburn. Of course, in Sam Pittman's first year, and gets screwed over by the uh, by the uh, lack of a fumble call, uh, allowing uh, Anders Carlson to kick that field goal, and uh, he ended up with a loss that you probably didn't deserve. And then last year, again, Arkansas leading 17-14 early in the third and end up losing 38-23. to That was one of six wins for Auburn in Brian Harson's first year. Uh, they did lose seven games, though, including a loss in the Birmingham Bowl and clinched Auburn's first losing season since 2012. Uh, And, I mean, look, you you, you ended... Arkansas last year ended losing streaks against A&M, against Missouri, and against LSU. There's no... uh, There's no trophy uh, that's at stake in the Auburn game, but if you're looking to end a losing streak, and I know you're worried about losing uh, 14 in a row to... Alabama, uh, but I would start with a six-game losing streak to a program in Auburn that 
Arkansas right now certainly feels uh, that they are maybe a little bit of a higher mm-hmm. level then. Uh, so start with that one. Arkansas got blown out four consecutive years under uh, in the first four years of this six-game losing streak. Never really had a shot against them against, Ch- well, Chad Morris was the coach, but uh, Sam Pittman's done well coaching them against Auburn. But you've got to figure out a way to beat this Auburn ball club that's one of the few teams in the league that still hasn't picked their quarterback. We got into this yesterday with Bill King. Uh, and it seems Zach Calzada, remember Calzada's the quarterback that beat Alabama last year, quarterbacking Texas A&M as a backup for Nathan King, transfers over along with a couple of other transfers. So it's all transfers at the quarterback position for Auburn. T.J. Finley came over from LSU, and then Robbie Ashford, two-way guy, plays baseball as well, comes over from Oregon. There are really good reports about Ashford, and Calzada, so they they don't know who's going to be a quarterback for them, but I think that they will, just like Arkansas, try to run the ball a lot. They do have a, mm-hmm. a really good running back in Tank Bigsby, 2020 SEC Freshman of the Year, an experienced offensive line anchored by center Nick Brahms, and that's the main strength uh, of that ball club. But, I mean, if you're going to start with ending losing streaks, which Arkansas did so well last year, Start with losing six in a row to Auburn, a program that has fallen on hard times. And I think it's safe to say, it is safe to say, right, that if there's a coach that's on the hot seat right now in the SEC, it is Brian Harson at Auburn. There was, there was already, I mean, look, it's Auburn, so these things happen no matter what. There already was a booster uprising um, that engendered a, an investigation mm-hmm. by the school into the program. Uh, Which lost, was really dirty. A lot of it was. They lost They lost assistant coaches. Derek Mason took less money at a lesser school to be the defensive coordinator elsewhere. Uh, a lot of players transferred out, including Bigsby. Remember Bigsby? Mm-hmm. I feel like if Tank Bigsby would have left that program, that might have, I don't know if that would have been like a death knell for Brian Harson, but, I mean, that is one of the better running backs in the country. He was in that transfer portal for, what, two, three days tops? And then came back in. I think Malik Hornsby was in the portal a little longer than Bigsby. I was about to ask who was in the portal longer, Hornsby or or Bigsby. And it it definitely would have been kind of the final nail in the coffin. I think if Bigsby had left, yeah, had uh, basically your last dynamic offensive player leave, then it it would have been pretty much done writing on the wall, whether it was over now or over at the end or middle of the way through the 2022 season, that Brian Harson is going to be out. And one thing that I want to ask Andy is, you know, what is the record that will keep them, keep the booster wolves at bay? What what record do you have to get to? Is it seven and five? Is it eight and four? Or are they going, are they so anti Brian Harson that you're going to have to win 10 games and beat Alabama? Because yeah. it feels like it is the latter where they are very, very, very anti Brian Harson because. Let's face it, these are the same group of people that try to ruin a man's marriage. And six wins are, are not going to be enough. No. Uh, but they don't, I mean, they do have some of the tougher road games. It's just the longest trip for Auburn is Starkville, four hours. They're playing in Athens, in Starkville, in Tuscaloosa for the road games. Uh, and it's just not very far to travel at all. But Athens, Starkville, and Tuscaloosa are tough places to play. And they do have that SEC uh, West schedule. They also travel to Oxford against Ole Miss, so they really don't have any lengthy road trips being right there in the middle of the SEC. 
Uh, but they do start with Mercer, then get San Jose State. No Nick Starkle on that club. Penn State is uh, obviously a very tough mm-hmm. out-of-conference game. But they get that one at Jordan-Hare this year after making the trip into uh, central Pennsylvania last year. They won year. that one, didn't they? College yeah, Station? they won. It was a tight one. I think it was a yeah. two-point win. Two-point win. <sighs> That's so, right. I think it was a – wasn't it like a Bo Nix quarterback keeper around the right side and like dove into the end zone to win it for him or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly? Well, I don't remember the last play, but I do know – I do remember that they beat Penn State because I remember looking at Penn State's schedule just before the Outback poll. Uh, we got Charlie on hold here. Charlie, we're going to be up against it in just a couple of minutes. We got Andy Burcham from Auburn Radio up next. How are you, Charlie? What's going on? I was going. Uh, I was going to ask Drew over there. Hey, Drew, you know you're looking good. All, I know I'm about to pick you on a little bit. You're looking good with your weight loss and everything. I appreciate. So let it. me ask you. Uh, let me ask you. Are you and Maddie going to get together? Because I know Maddie probably is a good dancer. I mean, is he going to teach you how to dance, or what's the deal? You already got it down. I mean, I you feel, feel like you. I feel like I have it down. I think the one thing that me and Shakira have in common is that our hips do not lie. But Maddie might be able to teach me something as far as more of like a formal dance. Maddie, can you teach me how to like waltz well, or, you, well, or like need, do the salsa or maybe I, what, what can I you was help in, me with? The good news is when I was in sixth grade, I went to cotillion. You went to cotillion. So, so yes. You need cotillion, Drew. I know where to put my hands and, uh, and so we're, not to, we're not to put them, yes. Maddie, Maddie's got it figured out over there. <laughs> I mean... That's what you need to be going to, Drew, to get some. I mean, I would give you some for free, man. I mean, I, but I would help you out. But I'm all the way down here in Camden, and we, uh, that's just a long way, man. I just can't, I, I just, I can't help you. I mean, uh, Charlie, we're going to be up against it in just a moment here. Yeah, so, yeah, if you want to stop it, hit on quick. it. Let me be real quick. Uh, I, let me get off here. Uh, but I, I just wanted to say, you know, Sam last night, he was at the catfish thing, and something that was really encouraging that he said that Tommy brought up this morning. He doesn't feel like there's any true weakness on this team yeah. anymore, and That's that right. is so encouraging. And I'm, I, I'm excited about that. I know I'm up, y'all up against it. Let me get off here, but that's just you know, and I believe him. Anyways, guys, y'all have a good one. I'm gonna take you to the break playing this very clip from Sam Pittman from Sam Pittman Live yesterday. We have three levels of leaders on the defense. You know, if you go on the back end and you 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 know you got Blair and Catalan, and and then you move up, you have Paul at the linebacker spot, and then Isaiah Nichols, you know, at the D line spot, and then on offense you have so many returning starters, you know, with or great players, whatever however you want to look at it. You know, obviously Trey's one of them at tight end, and then you have the four offensive linemen. Jones played a lot, so. And quarterback, running backs are back, and then so we have a lot of guys that's played a lot of ball, and you know there's not really a what I call a weakness out there, you know, and some teams do, and they have to hide them. We really don't have to hide right now. That's nice to hear going into this uh, season. Don't have to hide a weakness, but we'll see if there's a weakness once we get into uh, the third or fourth week. Brought to you by Riley Farm Dental, Dr. Bo Sparkman and Dr. Brogan at 5901 Riley Park Drive, Suite A, right there at the entrance of Riley Farms at Highway 71. They provide all the dental procedures, including braces, implants, and cosmetics. And you can get a hold of them at 226-3500, RileyFarmDental.com, the website. Again, the address for Riley Farm Dental, 5901 Riley Park Drive, Suite A. Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, joins us next on Halftime.
Whiskey River, take my Get by Eastside Liquor at 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith today and pick up a four-pack of the new Crown Royal Cocktails. Available in whiskey and cola, peach brewed tea, green apple, and now whiskey lemonade. Try some today. Now, back to the podcast. It's always good to talk with the voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Burcham. Does football, basketball, baseball on the Auburn Radio Network. And he's usually good to give, uh, good to give us some of his time. We've got uh, with Andy on Media Days. And now uh, with a week and a couple of days before Auburn <laughs> opens the football season, we will talk with Andy once again. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's kind of a rainy day here in Auburn, but we, uh, we get ready for our first Tiger Talk tonight. It's our first actual broadcast on the Auburn Sports Network and gear up for the September 3rd opener against the Mercer Bears. That's right. right. We had our first coaches show yesterday with Sam Pittman, and it's a lovely day across the natural state where optimism (laughs) runs high for this football program. Tell me the temperature around the Auburn football program, because it wasn't that long ago. A lot of us thought Brian Harson might not make it through the month of February as the head coach, but he came through. He says the program is stronger after the, uh, after the investigation, and they've had spring ball and most of preseason camp leading up to this. So what is the overall feeling about Auburn <laughs> heading into the second year under Brian Harson? I think it's a more galvanized squad this year than it was a year ago and, and probably needs to be after the turmoil of, of the, the winter, especially January and February with the program. And I think they used spring ball to start that process of rebuilding the cohesion on this team. And one thing you notice with this ball club, and you've got three captains that were named just earlier this week, and all three of these guys could be playing elsewhere or even in the NFL. And Owen Papo certainly could be playing elsewhere, an outstanding linebacker for the Tigers. Derek Hall, a, an edge rusher for Auburn, could be, he could have declared for the NFL had he chosen. And John Samuel Shanker could either be playing elsewhere or moving on with his life. He's married. He set Auburn's record for tight end catches a year ago. And all three of these guys decided to come back in the midst of everything that was going on in the, in the winter. And I think that's the theme of this team. The guys that are here are committed to their teammates, committed to this university, and just as important, committed to this coaching staff right now. Okay. So uh, what, what do you think is the overarching strength uh, of Auburn? If, if I were to guess, I, I guess I would say the running game because I see an experienced offensive line, a couple of the really good running backs in uh, Jarquez and in Tank, but in, in, in your eyes, what do you see as the number one strength of this football team heading into 2022? I'll give you one on each side of the ball. And offensively, it has to, it has to be the running game right now because you, we still don't know who's going to be named the starting quarterback, although we believe that it will be T.J. Finley, and that will surprise some, uh, as a matter of fact, because I think a lot of folks had given the job to Zach Calzada in the offseason, and yet I think it's going to be T.J. that will make that start against Mercer uh, in a couple of, in a week and a couple of days. But the running game is the most proven part of this team right now with Tank Bigsby, who is healthy, and Jarquez Hunter, who is also healthy. And neither guy at the end of last season were what you would consider a healthy tailback for Auburn. And then you add a true freshman, Damari Alston, uh, who is a little bit of a scat back, but they really like him there. And Auburn is deep in the tailback room and is talented in the tailback room. 
And then you go to the other side of the ball, and without question, Auburn's strength is up front. With the aforementioned Derek Hall, who was named one of the three team captains, you have an Echo Leota who transferred in from Northwestern a year ago and will come off the other edge and really came on for Auburn a year ago. Had 10, he had 10 tackles for loss and seven sacks and really improved as the season went on and has continued to improve in the offseason. And then Auburn added some bulk in the middle. At nose tackle, transfer from Oregon, Jason Jones, who's 6'8", 328. And then a really intriguing guy out of Independence Community College. He was ranked by some as the number one JUCO prospect in the country, Jeffrey Emba, who is 6'6", 313, and his nickname on the team is Thanos. <laughs> and uh, he hails from France. He's really an intriguing guy. I haven't gotten to know him yet, but uh, he will give Auburn some, some heft behind Marcus Harris at defensive tackle. And then you've got Colby Wooden. Uh, at one defensive end, and he comes off 61 tackles and five sacks a year ago. Auburn up front defensively has, I think, terrific talent, but also has some depth to go behind those guys. So I would say running game offensively and the the defensive line on the other side of the football. Hopefully Thanos uh, forgets all of the Infinity Stones before (laughs) Arkansas and Auburn match up against each other. Hey, um, so you mentioned the quarterbacks, and, and, and this is such a fascinating battle for this position. Three transfers coming in, uh, and, 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 I mean, Zach Calzada is the one who beat, who beat uh, Alabama last year at Texas A&M. Right. Robbie Ashford's giving up baseball in order to focus on trying to play quarterback in the SEC. And then there's yeah, really good the, baseball. And yeah, he's right. a good baseball player. Now, he's not going to yeah. play baseball for you guys, too, is he? No, not that I've heard. Okay, good. I'll, I'll I'll celebrate that. But then there's then there's T.J. Finley, who it sounds like you think he might have the he might have the edge here. I do. I, I think he has the edge, and it come it could come today. Perhaps Brian Harson mentions it on Tiger Talk tonight. But I think this sometime this weekend, at the latest, I mean, because game prep has begun, they'll I think they'll name T.J. Finley. But the guy that's made the biggest move since spring ball is Robbie Ashford. The aforementioned baseball player who, who played two years of baseball in Oregon, but never played football. He's from Hoover, Alabama, the Birmingham area, and is the best dual threat quarterback that Auburn has on the roster right now. And he has, he's really made up the most ground of anyone. And I think we will see him on the field, even if Finley is named the starter. I think Ashford's going to be on the field in some packages just because of his running ability. He throws it well, but he gives Auburn a different aspect when when he's on the field as far as RPOs, getting out of the pocket, getting on the edge, and that type of thing. So um, Ashford's the one that's made the biggest move in the offseason, but I think folks, a lot of folks are still surprised or as surprised that T.J. Finley is going to be that number one quarterback for Auburn. Mm -hmm. And and – with having a running back like Tank's, Tank Bigsby, uh, how much pressure is going to be on you know T.J. Finley, whoever you know is playing quarterback for uh, Auburn this season, to put up numbers and to perform? I mean, are, are they just going to be more sure. of a game manager style type of type of players? Are they expected to not only put up numbers to to really really affect outcomes of games? Listen, we, 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 we know where the two schools that, that we broadcast for play in this country, right? The SEC West. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think you can have a quarterback that is just a game manager and just try to run the football only in this league and specifically in this division right now. Teams are too good. They'll stack the box on you. I mean, you're facing some of the very best defenses, if not the best defenses in the country, week in and week out when you're facing an SEC team. So, yeah, I think there's there's a little bit of pressure on T.J. Finley, not only to handle the offense well, but excel in the offense. Now, listen, I don't think he has to go out and average 400 yards a game passing. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. I don't think any Auburn quarterback is going to be asked to do that, especially when you have a running game. And that is the philosophy that th- this run game, the the pro style is the is the is the way that Brian Harson runs his offense. It's the way he did it at Boise, and you're going to see you're going to see T.J. Finley, Auburn's quarterback, whomever it is, under center much more this year than it was last year. And last year is the first time Auburn had anybody under center, other than a a, a short yardage situation since before Cam Newton. So things have changed a little bit, but. T.J. Finley has to be, I think, more than just a game manager for Auburn at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, for Brian Harson, after the very public and uh, really damaging type of uh, offseason with boosters and rumors and everything else that has uh, happened around the Auburn program outside of X's and O's and spring practice and now fall camp, what what really is the vibe around Auburn as far as fans and have you heard of a kind of a number of wins out there that to really calm things down Brian Harson has to succeed because most of us do believe you know around that cover the SEC that Harson even in year two is is truly coaching for his life right now. Well, it, it's it's interesting and I don't know what that number is uh, because I think it de- it depends on who you ask. Mm-hmm. And does that person have the power <laughs> right now to pull the trigger on a head football coach? The average fan certainly doesn't, and they probably have a number in mind. Now, listen, I, I think the number right now for Auburn is that first five games. And you look at Auburn's schedule, and it's unusual because it's five straight games at home. It's five straight winnable games at home for Auburn, I believe. And what kind of confidence, what kind of momentum do you have coming out of the first five weeks of the season, because after that, the schedule gets dramatically tougher. After the LSU game, and that's nothing against LSU or Missouri, but both of those teams come to Jordan-Hare Stadium in the first five weeks of the mm-hmm. season. And then Auburn goes on the road. Auburn plays, I don't know, does anyone else play both Alabama and Georgia on the road this year? The two teams that played for the national championship a year ago. Auburn does. That's Auburn's first road game. Is Arkansas, Arkansas got to do that last year, Andy. It uh, <laughs> yeah. didn't go and, so well. Okay, exactly. Will it go well for anyone, for goodness sakes? Yeah. So Auburn has that schedule coming up. And after five in, five, or, five in a row at home, it goes to Georgia and Ole Miss in back-to-back weeks before it's off week. And right. then you've got, you've got the Hogs here on the 19th of October. Um, one night, by the way, Phil, you'll love this, one night after Auburn plays Alabama in a fall baseball game. Nice. They play on Friday night before the Arkansas football game here. So that's going to be a fun weekend. Yeah, that'll be And great. then you go, you go to Mississippi State, which was the most damaging loss that Auburn had a year ago here. You get A&M and Western Kentucky at home, and then you close with the Iron Bowl. The last six games of the schedule are brutal for this Auburn team. So momentum and confidence mm-hmm. coming out of the first five, I think is the key. You just mentioned the number six. 
That's the winning streak Auburn has over Arkansas. Four blowouts and two tight ones. Even last year was tight, even though the final score doesn't necessarily show that. Auburn played such a great second half. Um, but, uh, you know, Arkansas ended losing streaks last year against A&M, yeah. against Mizzou, against LSU. So the going thought is they're coming to try to end a losing streak against Auburn. I know, That'll be a fascinating game. I mean, for Auburn, that game a year ago in Fayetteville, I think, was the peak of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, things started going downhill after that after that game. And it was a, it was a good finish for Auburn. Auburn finished that game well. Uh, and I, I think it felt pretty darn good coming out of Fayetteville a year ago, as it should have. That was a good Arkansas ball club, certainly an improving Arkansas ball club. Andy, you, um, i got to ask you a question about last year's game at Penn State, and not the game in and of itself, but the atmosphere. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Pennsylvania native. I never went to a Penn State game. They have over, what, 110,000 there? If yeah. I remember, it was a night game and a whiteout and everything. You get them it at home this year. So, I mean, you, you've been in, in, in all the stadiums here in this league, and you know what the experience is like, and I know Auburn is a crazy atmosphere as well. How did the Penn State atmosphere measure up to what we think the SEC is about, you know, in, in, all, of these, in all of these cities? I think folks in Pennsylvania wanted us to say that that's the greatest atmosphere <laughs> that we've ever been in. They put on and, more and of a show, was, huh? <laughs> yeah, and it was good. It's a great atmosphere. But it, listen, you, you see that just about every place you go in the SEC. Yep. Now, it may not be the 100,000, 110,000 seat stadium in Happy Valley, but I mean, you're still going to A&M and Tennessee and Alabama with stadiums over 100,000. You still have great atmospheres everywhere you go in this league. So, what I've said is it was it was an SEC like atmosphere. And now Penn State gets to come and see what it's like to be at Auburn in week 3 on national TV at 2.30 on CBS. So I, I can't wait to see the response of the Penn State folks when they come to town. Because yeah, this place gets rocking now, let me tell you. Well, I'm excited to see that, too, uh, when Arkansas gets there on October the 29th. Because I've been there for basketball. I've been there for, for, uh, for baseball. And uh, I just can't imagine you know, what it's going to be like inside that stadium and that Eagles flying around. Andy, It'll appreciate be fun. you. Yeah, it certainly will. And we'll uh, maybe we can do it again that week and do a little preview of it. Love to, Phil. All right. Andy, appreciate you. It's always good talking with you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day. Hey, thanks. You too, Andy. Voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Burcham, joining us on Halftime here. 877-377-6963. If you got any reaction to that. Yeah, you got loot. Lengthy losing streaks against the two schools out of Alabama. Probably a better opportunity to win at Auburn, even though you got Alabama coming into Fayetteville this year. But, I mean, Andy's right. I mean, Arkansas went into Georgia and Alabama last year. It's pretty rare that you have to play Georgia and Alabama on the same Mm -hmm. schedule. But when you got to go both places on the road, good freaking luck. Back with more halftime. This is for the men who never settle, the ones who miss the fairway all day and still pull out the big stick, the type of guys who will always prefer to be behind the grill than in front of the camera, and the men who never let their friends forget about a high school nickname. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. 
Who wants to settle for a single TV? With more TVs, bigger screens, plus our fabulous scenic views, there's more to watch at Twin Peaks. sound of a Matt Olson Grand Slam clearing the fence and clearing the stands and landing in the Allegheny River in Pittsburgh yesterday as Atlanta continues hot, hot, hot. 12th win in 14 games with a 14-2 victory yesterday. Going to get a really interesting series starting tomorrow in St. Louis. The Cardinals and the Braves get it going tomorrow. St. Louis closes a series at Wrigley Today, this is a rubber match of sorts because the five-game series concludes today and it is uh, tied to a piece. Um, there was one thing on that Pirates-Braves uh, game yesterday, though, that I just kind of scratched my head about a little bit here. For one thing, the Pirates lost, so they gained ground on last place. You know how I am with this. I'm just looking for them to finish dead last, completely dead last, not just in the division but overall in Such the National League. Such an anti-fan. And they are now four and a half games in front of Washington for DLP, dead last Well, place. The Rock says if you are the game, then quite frankly, you need to go back to the drawing board because your game absolutely sucks. Rock, there is no drawing board for the Pirates. None whatsoever. They don't have a crayon. They don't have a dry erase marker. There's nothing to write on if they had it anyway. But don't what worry, they, Bill. What, One what, day you'll have faith again. One they, day, like me. You'll what have they faith do have, time. what they do have, though is the king of StatCast. Like, this is supposed to mean something. I appreciate StatCast cool. for what it is. Yeah, it's analytics that don't have any, anything to do with the results. Now, now we got into this a little bit yesterday, Drew, about the idea of failure in mm-hmm. baseball and everything. I think players, I mean, players want to worry about what their average is and whether or not a ball falls in and all of that. But, what, you know, what I, what I see, what I see uh, the, uh, the mindset that's coached by the Arkansas coaching staff, and I saw this as well, in uh, the minor leagues, it's to not focus on the result. It's to focus on the process. And they will keep track of quality at-bats and hard-hit line drives because that's all you can really do. You have nothing. You have no say or no factor in, in deciding whether or not some guy made a great play on a ball that you hit, oh, 122.4 miles mm-hmm. per hour. But um, the, the thing here is that you don't want to be striking out a ton. O'Neill Cruz, this is a very interesting professional baseball player from the Dominican Republic. He is the tallest, I think he's the tallest non-first baseman uh, or pitcher mm-hmm. in Major League history. He's a shortstop, and he's six foot seven. This is cell phone guy, right? No, that's Rodolfo Castro. Oh, okay, sorry. No, O'Neill Cruz, yeah, his cell phone, he's so tall, he could fit his, he could fit his cell phone... Just in uh, just in in his sock, and it would just sit there for him for a while. But uh, no, this this is the king of Statcast, the king of Statcast, because yesterday he hit a ball that didn't have the height to clear the twenty one foot fence in right field, but it was one hundred and twenty two point four miles per hour off the bat, according to Statcast. That is the fast. hardest ball hit since Statcast was invented, which I think it's been eight or nine years. Uh, John Carlos Stanton has usually been the king of Statcast for uh, for how hard a ball is hit off the bat, but Cruz uh, e- eclipsed him. He also earlier this year threw a ball from shortstop ninety seven point eight miles per hour. None of these things have anything to do <laughs> with 
a success rate of any kind, which is what we look at as fans and as media members more often than, you know, quality at bat or line drive percentage or those sort of things. And so Cruz, this guy is striking out almost half of his at bats. So what does it matter if you hit it 122.4 miles per hour when you struck 99 with a 249 on base and he struck out 83 times? In 200 at-bats. Because that's the game of today, Phil. It doesn't matter how much you strike out. It, all that matters is if you can hit the ball with power and you can hit it 122.4 miles an hour. It blew me away. I, I open up MLB's website um, this morning, and the first headline on their headlines on the right side was O'Neill Cruz breaking StatCast. It didn't even mention the final score of the game. O'Neill Cruz was the headline. What does that matter? They lost 14 to 2. <laughs> they lost 14, could hit the ball 3,000 miles per hour, and they still lost by a dozen runs. So, I mean, and I love these sort of things. I love these analytics. We use this stuff at Arkansas baseball all the time. If he hits 122.4 miles per hour, it should land in. But when you hit it mm-hmm. zero miles per hour with a swing and a miss, yeah. it just doesn't matter very much. It doesn't, but that once again, that's just how today's baseball is is consumed. It's consumed by these uh, analytics. It's consumed by these stat casts, numbers, and everything like that. It's the same reason why you still open up so many stories on major league major league dot com or or ESPN or Fox Sports or anywhere else you go to get your MLB news. And you see these headlines about Shohei Otani. You see these headlines about Mike Trout. And then at the bottom of the article, if you make it that far, Angels lost 8-3 to three yeah, final to the Detroit Tigers. Exactly. You know, like, uh, that's the thing. It doesn't, for, for, some, for some fans and, and for some players in baseball, I guess it doesn't matter. Winning doesn't matter. You realize, though, like, Cruz, Cruz is really it's amazing. how we like, consume he, it now. He's a, he's a tremendous athlete. For one, to be that big mm-hmm. and to play shortstop, like, we thought Cal Ripken and A-Rod were big shortstops. They're not six foot seven. What was no. Cal, 6'4"? I think A-Rod is 6'3". I'm going to have to double-check that, but somewhere around there. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to think of somebody that tall to play that position because it's weird to even watch someone the six foot seven try to swing a bat for crying out loud or pitch. 6'4", yep. But this guy has hit a bunch of balls that are over 110 miles an hour, including ground balls. Sooner or later, he's going to kill a pitcher. The line yeah, drive back of the pitcher, there's no way a pitcher will be able to react to a ball that's 120 miles an hour off the bat coming right at his face. So if he's out there... You might want to have a face mask on that, on that, on that helmet, on that, well, get a helmet. You know, some of these pitchers have the sort of like hard hat helmets mm-hmm. sort of thing that they'll wear. Uh, you put it on when O'Neill Cruz is up or, you know, just strike him out because it seems to happen. Seems to be pretty easy as, as it is. A lot more than the ball actually being put into play. 877-377-6963 to get with us on halftime. Stay with us. We're wrapping up the second hour next. Attention tequila lovers. Get by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith and check out their full selection of Cava de Oro tequilas, including Blanco, Reposado, Añejo, Extra Añejo, Cristalino Añejo, Plata Tajona, and Extra Aged Añejo in the Black Bottle. Available at Eastside Liquor at 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith. Now, back to the podcast. Calls and texts on halftime are 877-377-6963. And we've got Marty in Fayetteville on the lines right here. Hey, Marty, what's up? You're on halftime. Hey, hey guys. Uh, 
I went through the new facilities at Bomb Walker over the weekend with the Razorback Foundation tour thing. Just amazing, right? Uh, <clears throat> so anyways, the reason why I'm calling is as we were walking through, you know, they were showing this, the pitching lab, and young Mr. Faraday was throwing off uh-huh. the uh, – Yeah. In there, and, I, you know, I mean – I was like, holy crap, who is this kid, right? I mean, he was throwing straight cheese. He had to be hitting 98 on his fastball. And I was just like, man. And then I did a little digging, so, I, you know, he, he he pitched an inning or so. I just want to get your read on on what you think, Phil, we've got in him coming up. Well, I, again, I, I, I've watched him throw uh, in the pen before, but as far as, like, in a game, there was just that one game uh, where yeah. – you, I mean, you could tell he's he's trying to figure out command and just had a lot of trouble with it. So that's why you're not you didn't see him on on the pitcher's mound very much. But there's no doubt he might have consistently the the fastest fastball on the team. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he saw him throwing 98 to 99. I, you know, it's kind of close to where I think you see Jackson Wiggins' velocity get up to, and he's got that that kind of body, that like tall, long limbed body. Uh, where he could really twist himself up, and and uh, and his release point is closer to the plate, so there's even a, f- a higher perceived velocity. Uh, I think there's a lot there. I'm just not sure what to make of it because if you know, if he, if, and he was a freshman last year, so I mean these things happen. Uh, he'll he'll get an opportunity, I would imagine, in oh. fall ball to to make an impression, and the same in January and in February. I, be, I bet you they give him an opportunity to get out there and pitch early in the season. Because with a fastball like that, you, you want to get that kid yeah. on the mound, but only if he throws strikes. Real quick, a funny interaction I had with Hagen Smith, because he and the guys are just walking. You know how it is when those tours are going through. And uh, so Faraday uh, was on the on that, uh, on that the mound throwing, and I'm like, are you going to throw? And he goes, uh, yeah, a little bit, but you want to watch this guy. This guy throws harder than me. So, I mean, he's even got the respect of the upper class. I always, uh, it's I I love it. It's like when when the when there are pitchers that stop to watch other pitchers warm up or throw a bullpen. Like you know that that's yeah. something that's a little a little bit special. You know when a guy like Hagen Smith, who should be one of your weekend starters next year, says I got to go watch this guy throw. Uh, yeah. you, you know you're watching something special. That's right. But then again, it's yeah. all a matter of if he can put it, you know, over the plate and yeah. hopefully where he wants to over that plate. Yeah, he, he can throw hard, but now he just got pitch. Yep, and he, he's one of those guys that will be uh, that will get a chance. That will get a chance, and I, and he's also one of those guys like when when he first gets on the field on the pitcher's mound next season. Watch watch everybody else in the dugout go belly up to the fence because they're going to want to see what yeah. he can do. Because if he is, if he does start to command his pitches better, I think he's a difference maker. You could probably wow. say that about a number of other pitchers on this Arkansas staff, too. They got the stuff. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. And you figure out the command after that sometimes. Absolutely. Well, y'all have a good and go home. Okay, Marty. I hey, appreciate the call. Thanks for the phone call. 877-377-6963 if uh, you would like to get with us on halftime today. Uh, let's see. Oh, that's right. Later on today, i got to go pick up the kids at school. I figured out because I, I didn't do any picking up at school for mm-hmm. a while. It's like... And, and, and I've never, I never had to worry about, like, driving around Fayetteville when it was pickup time. You know, because I would just stay home after mm-hmm. the show's over or just go on a bike ride or something. And I wasn't going by, I lived by a school. 
um, Owl Creek School, uh, but I would go in the other direction. And the pickup line there really wasn't all that bad. It's like trying to get through MLK when it's let out time at Fayetteville High School. Mm -hmm. That's a heck of a lot of fun of some (laughs) sort. But like now that now that I'm picking the kids up at school, hell is a pickup line. Is it that bad? I mean, you parents complain about it all the time. I mean, the problem is that I've never been through it as as an adult. I remember going through it as a child. As a child, you were just afraid of getting out of the class, getting out of the car and going to see the mean teachers that Mm -hmm. were treating you like that. Right. Uh, (laughs) Now, I'm sure you were bright and happy and excited and effervescent going into school. Elementary school, maybe. The problem is it's like going going different directions for these two kids. You know, I got one kid who's a couple miles in one direction, fight mm-hmm. the traffic there. And then an hour later, uh, the 13-year-old is, a, is in eighth grade, and she's four miles in the other direction. Got to pick her up on the way and get through there mm-hmm. and fight the traffic. And, and I mean, these, these, these drop-off lines, it's like, you're sna- it's like, it, it's like sneaking through, uh, you know, some weird parking lot at Disney World or something. <laughs> you wonder, why are they shuffling us this way and that way? But it's... Uh, it's not enjoyable. It just isn't. And it's almost a little road ragey, just a little mm-hmm. bit road ragey. But sooner or later, you pick up the kid and then, and then you just, then I'm just happy to see them. And then, you know, of you course. get the one word answer. How was school today? Fine. Fine. <laughs> What'd you learn today? Tell me everything you learned today. Nothing. Please tell me everything you learned today. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you and all these other parents, maybe we need to, maybe this is something that we can do. I don't know if we have the calming enough voice. Uh, to do this, but if we could find somebody with a really calming voice, we could and make like a meditation tape or a podcast for pickup line. We're gonna have to only like, convince, people. Then we gonna, can make some money here. We got to convince Ruskin and Zach because they are on the air during pickup time mm-hmm. for almost any school. We got to convince them to like have just a give segment. Give us some alms. Just mm-hmm. yes, just a segment to bring down the blood pressure. Inhale. I'm not sure if those guys are very good at all the time, oh. and maybe they can figure out a just segment. Breathe. Yes. Serenity now. Yes. Scream that in the car a few times. <laughs> it doesn't work. 877-377-6963 to get with us. And we have one more hour on halftime. And we have that next. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.